0: So how are you
1: all doing with your Christmas plans? Well, you don't need to answer that. What are you hoping for? Got any hopes? I Think back to when I was a kid, our hopes were for a bunch of presents under the tree. Just pretty simple. <laughs> Go to grandpa and grandma's place and there were lots of presents piled there for the grandkids particularly. And then we had our own kids. And hey, if, for goodness sakes, if they didn't have the same hope. Now they have kids. Same thing, (laughs) yeah, no hope for them, (laughs) with poor grandparents. (laughs) Anyway, for adults, you know, what do we hope for? Um, Just as an aside, my mother and then my wife knew that they could keep me happy if they bought a book for Christmas or a tool. Those were the two things all through the years, and I always loved going through Canadian Tire and that. You know, the last year or two, I look through it and say, there's nothing here, <laughs> nothing I need very badly at my age at least. I've got most everything to do, a few handy things, and uh, and books, you know. I, I've been giving them away. <laughs> so it, times change. But the fact is, as adults, we probably hope for a, a special gift of some kind. But, you know, for many, it's uh, you kind of you hope that this would be... a time for a good time with the family, and and that they all come, and Lord, this time, let it be conflict-free. That's the hope for many people. There are many hopes this time of year. Some are fulfilled, and I expect that if you look over the whole population, most aren't fulfilled. I guess it was about 45 years ago, I remember sitting in psychology class with Dr. Gary Collins. It was just before the Christmas break, and he said something that I hadn't thought about before and and certainly haven't forgotten since. He said, for many people, Christmas is the most depressing time of the year. It's a time when people experience the greatest disappointments and often fall into feelings of complete hopelessness. So when my friend Guy from our congregation shared something a couple of Saturdays ago, I was all ears. Guy often shares stories uh, on Saturday morning from his 33 years as a, this 33, right, Guy? (laughs) Uh, As a fireman and as a first responder. And what he said that morning, he said to us, guys, we need you to pray for our first responders, especially this time of year. And he explained how many times he had been called to at around Christmas time, what turned out to be an ugly and tragic mess. Someone had taken her own life, and and it was their job to deal with this and to do cleanup and stuff. And it reminded me, when he said that, of what Doctor Collins had said. And I asked him, "Is this really true? Is it true that suicide goes way up at Christmas time?" And he said, "Yes, definitely." The fact is, said that at what should be the most hopeful time of the year many lose hope. They just simply run out of things to hope for. The kids and Karen Shaw introduced us to the theme of hope as the theme of our third Sunday of Advent. And Karen, in her narrative, told us about Anna and Simeon, two people who had carried a hope in their hearts for many years, but it was based on a promise that had been given centuries before by God and then reinforced over and over by the prophets as the years went by. I'd like to introduce you to another person who lived at that time, looking for that hope, and the coming of that hope changed her life. So, let's pray first. Heavenly Father, you know how each of us are today. There are some who come today needing hope, Needing a touch from you, needing to sense again the love of Jesus and uh, to apply it to their lives and to really believe that it's real. There's others who have found great joy in family and great joy in this season and uh, are there to be hope givers. And Lord, you know what our needs are. Encourage us to be hope givers, but also encourage us where we need hope ourselves. In Jesus' name. Amen. We all know that at the center of the Christmas story is an amazing woman, and her name is Mary. So what are we to believe about Mary? How do we treat Mary? What do we think about her? After all, she was the mother of our Lord Jesus. Throughout history, the church has tended to fall kind of uh, into one or two of two extremes. Um, Some put her on a high pedestal. such a high pedestal that she's almost barely recognizable as human. People have not only called her the mother of Jesus, which she is, but also the mother of God, and depending on their connotation, um, and have prayed to her, have even taught that her life was so special that she herself was born sinless, like Jesus was. It's called the Immaculate Conception, and uh, that means that she wasn't plagued by ordinary sin like we are. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. This doctrine was introduced years later. But the Bible clearly teaches teaches this about sin. It teaches that we're all born into sin. As Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And then verse uh, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Mary needed the redemption that Jesus came to offer just like the rest of us do. The fact that we are all sinners is really why we're having this conversation about hope today, at least from my point of view, because sin destroys everything. Sin destroys everything, including hope. Others in rejecting this worship of Mary have almost ignored her. You know, they've uh, rejected unbiblical ideas and nearly overlooked Mary herself. Of all the women in the Bible, Mary was chosen by God. Chosen by God for a very special uh, task. And we must recognize that. I'd like to build a little foundation for understanding that, to sort of pick up on this. And this is important because God's word clearly and categorically states that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without putting one's trust in God, without that kind of a relationship that puts a trust in God, it's impossible to please him. So as we read Luke chapter 1 and and starting at verse 26, this part of the Christmas story, remember that, okay? Okay? In a six month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, she may not have been sinless. I don't believe she was, but she sure pleased God. And that's very clear. So she was a woman of faith, reminds me of Hebrews 11:1, which says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for. So it ties faith and hope together. Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And this is what Mary was commended for. And the ancients are that whole list of people, starting with Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and a whole bunch of others, who uh, lived... For their hope, they tied faith and hope together. Faith in God and his promises leads to hope that keeps us going through our life. If you and I believe in God's promises, no matter how bleak things might look, and sometimes they look pretty bleak, we have hope. This is important. Here's kind of the scoop for those of you for whom this may be new the ancients had all been given a special promise by God. The promise was that he would send a Messiah, that he would provide salvation for them and for the world and give their lives purpose and meaning. That was their hope. They didn't see it fulfilled in their lifetime. The Messiah didn't come and year after year and century after century went by. But they saw many evidences of God at work but they never saw the final outcome. In spite of that, they really believed the promise. So even when things weren't going their way and they experienced setbacks and defeat and sorrow and suffering and sickness and unfair treatment and criticism and all the things that people experience, we experience and they experience too, they had hope in the promise the promise of God. Now, in many cases, their kids and their grandkids got impatient with waiting and turned to other gods. And there's story after story in the Old Testament telling about how the next generation said, that mustn't be coming, or we've got something more to live for. The faithful reminded each other of God and his love and his promise, the promise that they were living for. And that promise carried them along by that hope that it gave that God was at work and he would keep the promise. So along came Mary. Mary was young. The common age for girls to be engaged in that culture and at that time was 12, 13, 14. Um, That's young. (laughs) Having raised daughters and having lots of granddaughters, that's young because her age is not mentioned, scholars feel that she no doubt was betrothed. At the same time, that was the custom. The parents would make the arrangements and the girl would be married, you know, in that age, 13 or 14. But in spite of her age, she had a strong faith in God and she fully believed the hope that had been presented, that he had been promising his people for centuries, that hope that he would send a Messiah, a Savior, a king for his people. Now she had no idea that she'd be the one to bring in the next step until she was visited by the angel. But the point is, because of her faith in God and her hope in the promise, she was ready. What can we learn from this hope that we celebrate now on the third Sunday of Advent? Though we live in a despair-filled world and we really do. That isn't God's plan for his people. His plan is not for us to go from despair to despair, from experience to experience. God in his grace always offers hope. So I'd just like to share it in a very elementary, uh, simple level that God offers hope in two ways as illustrated here. First of all, by getting us to look back look back to Mary and her faith and the God who keeps his promises. You see in the big scheme of things Mary's situation was pretty bleak. It was pretty hopeless. No one could have predicted that God would choose her for such an important assignment. First of all she was very young and she was a woman and it was a male dominated society. Secondly she was poor and life was hard for the poor in Israel. Thirdly, the man she was engaged to also belonged to the peasant class and was very poor. And we know this because uh, when they went to the temple to offer sacrifices uh, for the rite of purification, uh, Deuteronomy says that if if the parents couldn't afford a lamb to offer the sacrifice, they could offer two doves or two pigeons. And that's what they did. So we know they couldn't afford that land. So they didn't have much of a future in terms of what people normally hope for. And they had middle class and wealthy classes there too. Now sometime during Mary and Joseph's engagement period life became even more complicated than that. And we've heard the story often and every Christmas we talk about it and I hope we don't get tired of it. An angel appeared to Mary with a startling announcement. It said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Wow, how was she to relate to that? Clearly she was shocked and confused and, and, and even frightened. So verse 29 says, Mary was deeply troubled at his words and wondered, what kind of a greeting is this? The angel continued, verse 33, do not be afraid, Mary. He recognized Mary was afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, you can bet that the angel now had Mary's full attention. She certainly didn't miss the significance of the words that she had just heard. It was the kind of thing that girls in Israel dreamed about, you know, being the mother of the Messiah. Who knew when it would be and who it would be for? So it was a dream, even though it wasn't very uh, likely for someone like Mary. The angel was saying to her, really, God has chosen you To be the mother of the promised one. To be the mother of the Messiah. So finally, Mary responds, and she says, verse 34, How will this be? Since I am a virgin. Now the problem wasn't that she didn't believe that the hope of the Messiah and king was going to come. The problem was that she knew it couldn't be her. She wasn't married, and wouldn't be for at least a year. So to have this baby was impossible. Maybe a year later after she and Joseph were married, but, not, but for sure not now. Verse 35, the angel answered. And the angel answered and kind of laid out this amazing plan of God. Just think about it. This is really amazing. Angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born shall be called the Son of God. And then to demonstrate that God was already at work, that this wasn't just some, something quick, he said, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. There were two things about her cousin Elizabeth. She had never been able to have kids. She was barren. And now she definitely couldn't have kids. She was old. But listen to what comes next. This is a key to God keeping his promises. And we're going to hang on to this key all the way through because when God makes a promise that is uh, a straight promise, this is what's going to happen, he'll do it. There are some promises that are contingent on our response, and there's Bible's full of those. If you do this, I'll do this. And, and there are plenty of that. But he has his, some promises that he makes that are going to happen. And he says, For nothing is impossible with God. When it comes to, uh, when the Lord makes a promise, he keeps it, and that elevates hope to a whole new level. That doesn't mean that if I treat God right, he'll do what I want, like, again, I said, there are some promises that are contingent on our response. What it does mean is that God will do what he says. He's not at our command, we're at his command, but he keeps his promises. It also means that history isn't an endless cycle of of life going on and on and on, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. It's all the same, basically. People are born, grow up, try to have a good life. Some have it easy, some have it hard. They deal with conflict like everybody else. Maybe they experience outright war where they're living. Maybe they become refugees from their home. And then... Whether they turned out to be poor or rich, successful or a failure, they die. And then everybody's the same. When you get thinking about that, people lose hope because it goes on and on the same. But see, there's good news. The Bible has good news. History is actually moving forward. It isn't an endless cycle of meaningless events that everybody experiences the same no matter where they are. History is moving forward and it's according to God's sovereign purpose. And it's demonstrated as it moves along by a God who makes promises and keeps promises. There's a starting place. It's told about in the Bible, Adam and Eve. And it's leading to an ending place. Eternity, the uh, city of God, being with God. That's the final termination. And it's gone by a a very important signpost, The, the birth of Jesus and the cross. Each was based on and is based on a promise It's based on God who makes and keeps promises. And as a result, there's always hope. Now, we'll talk about that in a moment, but for, for Mary, this was all sudden and quite a startling proposition, you know, for a young teenager. What would she say? What should she do? How would she react? Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. She not only agreed, but she called herself a servant. The Greek word here means bond slave. It's much more tight than a servant to a master. A bond slave is someone who didn't have to serve somebody, but chose to, and it usually was because of love and respect and the promise of good care and that relationship that they had. So when Mary responded like that, that showed that her faith was sincere, and it was real, and it was up to date. It showed that she had already put her hope in God and completely trusted him. Now, you might think that she was, because she was favored, God would make life a lot easier as kind of a reward to her. We all kind of hope for that. You know, when, that as a reward for her being willing to go through such a thing, now he's sheltered her and she can have a great life. Well, when we understand the world that she faced, we can see how amazing her faith was. By agreeing to be the mother of Jesus, Mary would start down a long and difficult road. one One of the ways was first off, this would make her an outcast among the people. Uh, her relatives and the people who lived in her town, because it wouldn't be long till the people found out that she, an unwed woman, was pregnant. And she knew that, from from many people at least, she'd be ostracized and gossiped about. And plus she was engaged and had committed herself to marriage, so Joseph would have to find out about this and he would surely tell everybody his side of the story. And she knew that he, she could be taken to court and in that culture, even put to death for doing this to her husband. And in their culture, he had every right to do this in order to show that he wasn't to blame. So she had no idea how God would work that out. She was willing to do what he said to do, but he had no idea how, how this could work out. And then we all know that when she, when she came to term and was ready to have her baby, well, they had to leave Bethlehem and uh, take several days' journey, walking and riding the donkey to Bethlehem. And when they got there, there was no place to stay. So the baby was born in a, some kind of a cattle shelter and, as the scripture says, laid in a manger. And when the baby was still young and they were getting used to Bethlehem because they obviously had settled there, and he probably was working as a carpenter, suddenly they had to flee to Egypt to save their lives. Herod was after them. That's where they were refugees for maybe up to two years. We don't know really how long that was. They were refugees there until Herod died. And she wouldn't know this now, of course, but at the end of this difficult road would be something that would just tear her heart out. She would have to watch her son suffer all kinds of indignation, Indignities and and beatings and whippings and then finally nailed on a cross and die at the young age of thirty-three. So by agreeing to God's plan to bring Jesus into the world in such an unusual way, Mary faced challenge after challenge after challenge. Life was not easy, but Mary trusted God. Her hope was in God. She believed that God would not ask her something that would be too difficult and then betray her. She really believed that. God would work it out somehow. And in response to Gabriel and his words, she stated this in faith, may it be to me as you have said. And this is so important. Friends, this is so important. May it be to me what your will is for me today. you often think about why why do people give up when they're hurt or misunderstood or criticized? Um, Why do we get tempted to give up when those things happen, especially among brothers and sisters? Why? Well, Satan has a big lie that he presents, and he's presented it all through the centuries, and he still does present it, and that is that God doesn't care. If I'm treated like this by people who claim to follow him, be Christians, well, something's wrong with that. Um, God doesn't care, and I deserve better. So to encourage us in our faith, God gets us to look back to Mary and to draw strength from what she went through and how she uh, faced it because of her faith in God. That leads to the second way God offers hope to us. It's by getting us to look ahead to the final promise. In fact, what he wants us to do is to look ahead and to give us hope and encourage us in his program as we look ahead. When we step out in faith, when you and I step out in faith, when we respond to God in a way that Mary did, saying, yes, Lord, you know, that's okay, may it be, I'll do what you want me to do. God's able to bring great things to our world as well. It may seem strange the way God seems to work, you know, he continually looks for followers in whom he can work in their heart. And then through whom he can carry out his work. His work to bring light to a dark workplace, to showcase his love in a loveless environment, to bring encouragement to someone who's ready to quit, to share the gospel with someone who has no idea the meaning of life or where it's going. And he continues to call people, to call people like you and me to step out in faith and move forward and, and be that to people. And when we do, he uses our faith and the hope that drives us to change the world around us. He does it. He did it to Mary. Through him, he brought the Savior to the world, and we can't, we know we can't do anything that great. But he does continue to offer salvation, to offer redemption through the love and forgiveness of his people that can be shared with the people around and who can be carried into that hope as well. I started with a question, you know, what do you hope for for Christmas? And it gives us opportunity to just talk about what we mean by hope. Um, depends what you want. It depends on what you're expecting, who you're depending on for it, who makes a promise that gives you the hope. So the word hope can be used in different ways, obviously. Here's a dif- dictionary definition. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for certain things to happen. The verb is, to hope is to want something to happen. To want something to be the case. So both have that feeling of, of, of wishing, of desiring. There's no power itself in the word hope. So we use it these different ways. People, for, People say, my hope is to win the lottery and I'm going to buy a fine home for my family. Well, that kind of hope is an expression of a wish, and it fits the dictionary definition. Could it happen? Mm, Sure, I guess it happens to someone. Is it likely? Not a chance. The odds are stacked against you. Someone else says, my hope is to get a good education, get a good job, save up, and finally get my own home. Could it happen? Is it a realistic hope? Well, it depends on a number of factors, of course. Is your job good enough? Did you save enough for a down payment? Can you make enough to handle the monthly payments? If so, yeah, that's a very realistic hope. When I was growing up, when I was a teenager, I knew a family in which each of the kids got a home when they got married. Dad had made the promise. He made the promise that when each of them married, and this isn't to give Parents of kids, any guilt? (laughs) Uh, When they each got married, he would buy the couple their first home. And this now goes beyond the dictionary meaning, which is uh, just a desire or wanting something. And now we're getting closer to understanding how God makes a promise. So when each daughter got married, they were given a home. And their hope, they knew this was coming, was based on a promise. And the promise was made by dad. And each time it happened as promise. That's the kind of promises God makes. Only with dad, something could have happened. He could have been in an accident and killed and not been able to actually fulfill his promise. In his case, he did. He lived. God gave him that opportunity and he helped his kids in that way. I'd like to tie it together with an amazing passage of Scripture that I came across in my own personal devotions, I guess about a week ago. It's 1 Peter 1, starting at verse 3. Read it from the point of view of a promise of God to you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, we're saved not just so we can be forgiven from sin, but we're saved into a new hope. And its fulfillment is guaranteed by the power of Jesus' resurrection and the promise of God. we're, uh, We're given a new birth into a living hope and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. For you who through faith are shielded by God's power Until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in that last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. In this, we can greatly rejoice. This is the hope. This is the ultimate hope. And then he goes on, you know, and here's the reality that should keep us going because we live in a real world. Though, now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. That puts a faith on it. That puts meaning to it. And when we come to the Lord, that doesn't mean now we have a fairy tale life. That means we're living now in a real world, but we have the hope. And we have God's promise. It also means that history is going somewhere. The hope of the ages, sometimes called, first led to Jesus. That was a promise. That he would send his Messiah. The hope of the ages continues and now leads to the eternal city, uh, to heaven. That's a promise. It doesn't mean that life is going to be suddenly easy, but it does mean it can be purposeful. And one more thing, just to tie it up, because we have ultimate hope in Jesus, we are especially positioned to be hope givers. We can reflect the heart of God and give hope to others. We do that in a couple of ways, by sharing the gospel. The gospel is a hope of salvation and eternal life. You can share it from a lot of different places in the scripture. Let's just look at First 1 Peter 1, 1.3 again, uh, because that gives the gospel as well. So now read it in terms of thinking what it means to someone who doesn't know the Lord that you may have opportunity to share the gospel with. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he offers new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the gospel. God has provided forgiveness, salvation, spiritual life, new birth through Jesus. He's offered it free. It's based on our need and his ability to do it. It's based on his love and mercy. He invites the the hurting mother, the discouraged dad, the teen with low self-esteem, the broken druggie. All the kinds of hurts and brokenness that we see and impact. And he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened down, and I'll give you rest. That's what we have to share. And then here's the rest of the gospel as we finish that up, and into an inheritance. That's what we... That's what we can share. We, God has prepared an inheritance that'll never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. For you who through faith are shielded by God's power, God's gonna do it. I can't do it, you can't do it. Nobody can make somebody become reborn. We, it's done by God and it's shielded by God until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this, you all can greatly rejoice. That's part of what we have to share. And uh, the other part is, because we still live in a world of hurts, and he says, though for a little while you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials, so we we could share that when you come to know the Lord, that doesn't mean your life is going to be necessarily Easy. May or may not be easier. But we can all share hope at Christmas time in various ways. We have a little booklet that our church publishes every Christmas called The World of Hope. It's a way of offering hope by our gifts to people the missionaries are working with. And so in the booklet, and you can see it online as well, are many projects that are put forth by missionaries that if somebody wants to give to something like that, you can give specifically. So that's good. That's a way of offering hope. We have various ministries of our own, Dan and Irene have just come back. There was Standeth One Ministries, and we all know about that. That's another place that we can stand alongside of them and uh, offer hope. There's Night Shift that some of our congregation are involved in in North Surrey. And there are the Syrian refugees that are coming now. There'll be many opportunities. There's a Middle East uh, Friendship Center up in North Surrey that is geared to invite refugees in and people who need help and uh, looking for a way to share the gospel. So we now are positioned to offer hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, whether we are in a position to need the hope right now because we need to refocus on what you've done in the past particularly through Mary and how you kept that promise in a miraculous way and what you're heading toward in the future, and we need to refocus on that. But Lord, we also need to focus on, if we know the Lord as ourselves, as Savior, on the, on the needs of people around us, and how we can bring hope this Christmas, that we may uh, recognize our position, our unique position to act on behalf of you to give hope to others. Thank you, Jesus.
0: Christ.